Hi, I'm Andrea Chilcote. Welcome to our podcast, What Leaders Need Now, where my partner, Laura Rockefort, and I discuss beliefs, behaviors, and values essential at this time of transformation. In our previous episodes, we discussed two essential leadership qualities I wrote about in my new book, What Leaders Need Now. These qualities were compassion and courage. Today, we'll be discussing the third, humility. And I am so excited that I'm joined by a special guest, Dr. Todd Strumwasser. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I'm so glad you're here. Before we begin, I'd like you to get to know Dr. Todd Strumwasser's impressive background. He began his career as an anesthesiologist graduating medical school from the University of Southern California, then completed his residency at the University of Washington in Seattle. He began his practice at St. Joseph's Hospital in Tacoma, then joined Swedish Health Services in Seattle, where he served in numerous roles, including Chief of Staff, Vice President of Medical Affairs, Chief Operating Officer, and finally, Chief Executive. In 2015, Todd joined Dignity Health, the largest hospital system in California. In 2019, Dignity Health merged to become Common Spirit Health, the second largest nonprofit hospital chain in the US. In 2019, he became president of the Northern California Division of Common Spirit Health. During his years of practicing and administration, Todd was very involved with several anesthesiologist associations, serving in numerous leadership roles, including president of both Associated Anesthesiologists and Physicians Anesthesia Services. He has served the Board of Trustees for Peace Health in Vancouver, Washington for the last seven years. In addition to his incredible career, Todd has two grown children and two grandchildren, and he has just begun his retirement journey. Todd, I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you very much, Andrea. I, I look forward to our conversation as well. Can you tell us about your leadership journey? So I, um, as you say, went to medical school, became an anesthesiologist. Um, even as it, when I was in training, I looked for leadership roles. I was the chief resident of my anesthesia residency program in Seattle. I, as you pointed out, I, I oversaw a couple of anesthesia groups. Um, my leadership journey actually began formally when I became president of the medical staff at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Um, it's a 2000 uh, member medical staff in Seattle. And there was a lot I didn't know uh, about hospital business that because I'd been in the operating room as an anesthesiologist. So, as I was learning to be a leader, I also had to learn about a lot of fields that I was uh, not particularly expert on. Um, then I, as you pointed out, I, I took on a number of other leadership roles, finishing up my career where I was overseeing 13 hospitals uh, in Northern California for Common Spirit Health. The topic of today's podcast is humility, and it's the quality that I wrote about in, in my new book, What Leaders Need Now. When you hear the word humility in the context of leadership, what is the first thing you think about? And can you talk about how you define leadership humility? 
Right. So I actually, when we first talked about doing this podcast, I wanted to make sure I was fully aligned with what the intent was. So I actually looked up the word humility <clears throat> and discovered that it was rooted in the Latin word for um, earth. Um, uh, I think it's humus. Um, so I like that. I like that frame of reference because for me, humility, humility does mean being grounded. So being grounded as opposed to feeling like you're above everyone, you're feeling like you're with others um, at the same level, and you're all trying to solve the same problem. So um, I think that's a very important uh, way to look at humility. When I first met you, um, you know, we've worked together, but we haven't worked a lot together. And I was asked to facilitate um, a meeting. It was a a, a difficult topic, a controversial topic, um, potential for a lot of uh, contention. And it was a subject that I'm going to guess in the role that you were in, you could have made a decision based on your position authority. It had a lot of potential for revenue for the organization, and it also had a lot of um, it, life and death potential, given given that this was a healthcare related decision. And what I remember about it was so striking is that you wanted to gather input from a very diverse set of stakeholders, and you were willing to listen to a diverse set of stakeholders. And when I think about humility. Um, one of the things that leaders who have humility do is they have the, I guess, ego strength to be willing to hear what others have to say. They have the ego strength to be wrong. Um, they don't think they know it all. They don't think they have all the answers. And so I didn't know you well, but I was impressed by the fact that in this senior role, you were willing to take that on and, and hear that, hear, hear a lot of different input. And I just um, would like to ask you if you had to learn that kind of a practice, is that, is that an innate part of who you are? Was that something you regularly did? Because you and I never got to talk about that at the time. So Andrea, a couple of things. First of all, I love your use of the phrase ego strength because you're using it in a somewhat ironic way, because I think a lot of people think that those with strong egos will just go ahead and make decisions based on their positional power. But what you're implying in, in what you're saying is that that's not true. That if you have ego strength, you're willing to listen, you're, you're open to learning more, which is a feature of humility. And yes, I, I need to get to this part. This is a very important piece of what I have to say is that that is not who I was. So when I was an, so prior to becoming an anesthesiologist, I would describe my personality as ready, fire, aim. And in other words, I would make decisions with not a lot of information quickly and just deal with the consequences. As I, as I began my career, and as particularly as I got into leadership, I actually asked for a coach because I felt like I needed to learn things that no one had ever taught me. And one of the things I needed to learn was I needed to be open to others' input. I needed to listen to the 
views of the stakeholders, they're called, or anyone who's impacted by the decision. But more importantly, I needed to slow that, slow down the decision-making process. So as an anesthesiologist, if something bad happens, I need to make a quick 10-second decision in the operating room. I don't get a task force. I don't ask for input. That, that level of decision-making does not work in leadership roles. So, and I'm sure you've all heard of the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I figured that out early on, that what I knew was not going to get me to where I wanted to go. So I had to change um, my approach. So yes, I had to, um, I had to gain some humility. I, I think one of the other words I'd like to use that impacted me was I started reading um, Brene Brown's work on vulnerability uh, years ago, and it had a strong impact on me. And, and I always thought being vulnerable meant that you were weak, and it's actually just the opposite. And that's what I learned. Wow. So do you have advice for people? I, you know, you're, you're the person that, that a coach loves to work with, right? Because half of the work a coach does is getting people to the place that, that you, you were at when you, you sought out a coach and, and you believe that, you know, that vulnerability means that you're strong because then you can do the work once you, you know that half the work a coach does is getting a person to the place of admitting that. So what advice do you have for people who might be holding on to that fear or whatever it is that won't allow them to admit that they need help or input or what they need? So that's a great question. And, and um, one of the first things my coach did was she got a 360 degree review. In other words, she got anonymous input from all the people who work for me, with me, and above me. And I'm just going to summarize that input as being a cold shower. So there was a lot of input about me that I it was hard for me to, to digest. And I will call that my moment at the crossroads. So I realized I can continue to be that person who engenders those feelings in people or I can make a change and, and get a different outcome. So I decided to take a hard look at myself, to stay in that cold shower and just figure out what I needed to do differently. And I shared with you a couple of things, which was slowing down my decision-making, getting input from others. Um, I think the other thing, which I already sort of had, which I think is also super important is authenticity. So your audience, your the people that you meet on a daily basis can smell when you're inauthentic. We all know, we can think of examples of people in, in public life who are not authentic and we know it. And it's a really tough thing to want to follow someone who is not authentic or want to believe them. So that's really important. And then the, the next word I'll add is integrity. What I mean by integrity is it's not being morally correct. That's not what I mean. I mean, integrity is aligning your real self, who you actually are, with your public self. And that was another lesson I had to learn, which is that I'm going to be me. I'm not going to, I'm going to pull away the veil so people can see who I am. And I will risk them criticizing me um, because I'm okay. And, but I think that they'll be more apt to have a positive uh, 
experience of me, <clears throat> excuse me, if they know that I'm being authentic and I'm um, and I have integrity. That's so big. Um, can you give? I don't know if I want to ask you, you, you said vulnerability is something you, you are willing to be. So I almost want an example of, of this, the, the authenticity pulling away the veil. If, if we could get people to do that one thing, that would transform organizational life as we know it, uh, I believe. Yeah. Give, us, give us an example of that. What I know of you, the reason you're on this, this program today is that you are beloved as a leader. You deserve your retirement. I'm thrilled that you're retired, but there are a lot of sad people that you retired um, because what I know of you are the people that I work for who reported to you. And I've coached people who, who report, I, I still coach people who reported to you. And there are a lot of people who are sad that you left. And so they admire that in you. So as a lesson to those who are listening to this, what does that look like, that authenticity that you're describing? Because that's part of this humility. Right. So I'll give you a couple of examples, okay. one of which involves somebody that you're coaching. But years ago, <clears throat> I had a uh, woman working for me that I was considering for a more advanced role. So I asked her if she um, if she'd be willing to put her hat in the ring for um to apply for a larger role. And then I stopped and I said, listen, I know that you have a couple of teenage kids and I know this might be stretching you kind of thin. So I will understand if you don't want to do this. And then I stopped and I said, oh my God, I'm really sorry. I would never have said that to a man. That was awful. So the fact I said it to you was, was uh, suboptimal. I apologize. Um, so so delete that sentence from our conversation. Um, that's one example. Another example that um, was pretty big was when I was at Swedish, we were in a huge financial crisis. We knew we had to lay off a lot of people. And I had to come up with 730 employees that had to be um, exited from the organization in order for us to maintain our financial um, solvency. Big decision when I was not fully prepared to make, but I had to make it. Having made that decision, months later, we got more business and we had to rehire some of those people. And some of those people were no longer available to be rehired. So I lost, we lost all those people. So I got up in front of all the employees and said, I made a terrible mistake. I never should have let this many people go. And particularly with these skill sets, that was an error that I will never make again, and I apologize. Huh. And you know, I I was ready for the rotten tomatoes to come my way, and it really, when you when you call out things about yourself like that, surprisingly, no one's going to throw a tomato at you that you've already thrown at yourself. Right. So, um, so just you know, own your stuff, and um, things have a way of resonating with people like that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and this is so much better than some data from some research, but to back that up, there literally is research that, that shows again and again and again that admitting mistakes gives, brings loyalty, and it happens in customer service context, and it happens in leadership context, and, and so, yes, you, you, gained, you gained the trust of your employees by doing that.
So Dr. Strumwasser, we, we referred to this a little bit earlier in the conversation. Um, Ken Blanchard has a way of describing ego's interference um, in effective leadership. Uh, and he talks about it in that some people have such a strong ego that it gets in the way of humility because we, um, you know, someone is overconfident and so they're unwilling to admit mistakes, they're unwilling to ask for help, they're unwilling to accept help. And then the other side of the coin is that we have such weak um, uh, self-worth self that we are afraid of admitting mistakes and fear takes over. And we talked, we touched on that, but is there anything else you'd like to say about that, that, that dichotomy, if you will, that, that you see it, it, in play in the people that you've led uh, over your career. Right, I, I, well, I think this is, goes to your point in somewhat of a tangential way, but one of the mistakes I made early on was I'd taken the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory and it told me kind of who I was. And I thought, well, wow, that's great. That must be the, that must be the way everyone should be. And I realized, cause I started having to hire people and they don't teach you in medical school how to hire people. So I hired people that were just like me. They were loud, they were brash, fully willing to share their points of view often and early. And what I found was I was creating an echo chamber. And what I meant by that was, it was like, I was only hearing myself. And I that drives me nuts. I, <clears throat> you know, it's enough that the world has one of me. It doesn't need to have multiple versions of me in the same room. So I realized I needed people with different points of view in the same room in order to have a better likelihood of making a good decision. So there's a book that was written about Abraham Lincoln called Team of Rivals, a great book, in which he literally sought out people with opposite opinions of him, brought them into his cabinet so he could make better decisions. I wanted to use that as my, as my model to how to move forward because every time I need to make a decision, I want to know what am I missing here? Because if I if I clone myself, I'll never know what I'm missing. And what else do I need to know? And then most importantly, how are we going to decide, given that we all have different points of view on what the outcome should be? How are we going to decide? So that's not me saying I'm making a decision. So let's collectively decide this together. Let's make a stew together that's going to have a lot of different ingredients, and then it will have a high likelihood of success. Um, and I think I think that's sort of the key of putting your ego aside and realizing that we need to make a good decision. That's really cool. Yeah, you um, and you certainly my experience of you and I got you at the end of your career, not at the beginning when you were learning not to be uh, an anesthesiologist uh, as a leader uh, is that you did create really diverse teams with with really different people. And and I found it really refreshing that you would name qualities in people that it was unusual for me to, to talk with leaders of the people I was coaching and, they, and, and have you delineate things that they either needed to build in themselves as development, as, as strengths, or things that they did really well. And they were very, very different. And you, were very, you had a very keen eye and ear. Uh, on those things. Is there anything else that you would like to say um, from all of your wealth of experience on either this topic of humility or leadership in general 
um, I think you have some familiarity with this trio of, of qualities, compassion, courage, and humility that we're putting out there. Um, anything on, on those three things and how needed those that package of, of qualities are today, uh, given the environment that we're all working in. Right. So, you know, I, I work or I worked in, I still work in healthcare. I'm on a board and it's extremely complicated right now. Right now, it is just so complex an environment to work in. And therefore, there's a lot of opportunities for poor decisions to get made. And I think um, I just want to get back to what we said earlier that um, it's a work in progress, this journey that we're on in healthcare. And um, I think COVID was a great example of how we were learning to build the airplane as we were flying it, because none of us had seen anything like this before in the past. So I surrounded myself with people who had a lot more expertise on infectious disease and pandemics than I did. And we um, made a daily effort to take care of the people we were serving. And there were times when our decisions were not perfect. And I would say to all the people um, that I was responsible for that I'm sorry, that I can do better. And um, it didn't take anything out of me. It didn't make me lesser to say that, but it let people know that we didn't have a crystal ball. We didn't, we, there was no playbook we were looking at. We were day to day on our feet, making the best decisions we could. So be able to apologize, be able to let people know you're human show humility and, um, and lead with vulnerability. And I think, I think that's the only way to go into these areas where it's a forest and you do not know the way out or it's a cave, whatever metaphor you wanna use. Nobody, anyone who claims to have the answers is lying, so be honest and tell them you're gonna do the best you can and you're working on it. That beautiful message is a parting message here. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, hope to um, see you again sometime. We'd love to have you back. Will you come back? I will come back. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, wherever your journey takes you on, on your retirement journey, I hope you, you'll make this part of it. All right. Well, good luck to you. And uh, thank you for all, this, all of you who have helped put this uh, program together. You're very welcome. So this is What Leaders Need Now. I'm Andrea Chilcote. You can find this podcast and uh, more at whatleadersneednow.com. Thank you for being with us today.